This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. You guys, I have wanted to talk about what we're going to talk about today since I started a podcast because I see this as something that every single woman at some point in her life struggles with, and we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it enough. And so I'm so excited to introduce you to Isabel Garza. She lives in Austin, Texas. And Isabel, tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Isabel Garza. I am a registered dietitian, and I am the owner and founder of Woman Wise Nutrition. And really what I specialize in is the intersection of women's health and disordered eating. Um, I just see these two worlds play out in the experiences of the clients that I see. So whether it's struggling with fertility, uh, hormone imbalances, endocrine disorders, very often there's an approach to those disorders that end up further perpetuating a disordered relationship with food. And so I come in to really bring those two things together and allow women to approach their health in a way that doesn't compromise their relationship with food and their bodies. Tell us the definition, your definition of disordered eating. Yeah. So that's a big old question, Jenny, because I think there's a lot of ideas of what disordered eating means and what it looks like. Um, And I think first and foremost, I want to be clear that you don't have to have a diagnosis of an eating disorder in order to be struggling with food. I think a lot of women especially kind of invalidate their experience just because, well, I've never been diagnosed. Does it even qualify? And yet there's just such a spectrum when it comes to struggling with food in our bodies. But really disordered eating is a a problem that starts from our heads and from our hearts and not really just the food that we put in our mouths. And I think that's where the confusion very often comes where people may think, well, I'm not on a diet or, you know, I'm, I'm eating all these foods, but that's really not what disordered eating is. It's really this moralization uh, about food, you know, that there's good foods and then there's bad foods. And then what ends up being really sneaky is that those good foods end up becoming uh, a way for you to be a good person, right? And then eating the bad foods end up making you feel like a bad person. And that's when guilt and shame can come in and really disrupt how we feel uh, in our bodies and how food feels in our bodies. The way you're talking about this, it's like you talk about it every day, which I suspect you do, but everybody listening has never heard this category, like, or very, very few of us have. And when I heard it for the first time, it was such a powerful concept. It's one of the reasons I was so excited to do this episode because I look back at my life and I did struggle with an eating disorder and it was pretty intense where it was just consuming in my mind all the time, definitely lost too much weight. It was affecting me physically, emotionally, spiritually, every which way. So in my mind, although I never sought medical help for it, I definitely look back at that and I would say that is textbook eating disorder. Fast forward, I do experience so much freedom in that. I think for a long time, I had a very clumsy relationship with food. No longer was I too thin. Uh, No longer would I say I completely deprived my body. But I just, exactly what you're saying, I felt that guilt and that shame. And I, I still believe it got too much of my thought life. And then fast forward. And I would say I have experienced the freedom of that not being a consuming thing in my life where you really can. And for anybody listening, if you're in the middle of it, whether it's you know, a full-blown eating disorder or just disordered eating, it is 
possible to live a different way. And so I want to start this episode by saying that because I think it's important. I don't think I believed at that point in my life, certainly when the eating disorder was happening, that I could change. I thought this is just something I'm going to struggle with forever. And so I think it's just important to know like there is help and there is a road forward. But even to those of us that would say, ah, you know what? I don't overly struggle with that right now. I think quarantine brought on a whole new game because everybody, what do we have to think about besides food? I mean, everybody learned to make bread, right? Like everybody was eating more. Let's talk even about what you've seen specifically in the season of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. The the biggest thing that I actually see is that because so many things in our world, in our culture right now are out of our control, that we seek something to, to feel in control. And that is where food comes in. That is where our bodies come in. That is why it's so interesting that we end up uh, obsessing about certain things when it comes to like isolation and, and being in quarantine. And so uh, what I'm seeing a lot of my clients struggle with is kind of this fear about, oh my gosh, like now that I'm home all the time, baking all that bread, like you said, Jenny, like what if I gain all this weight, right? And then that brings up a fear of, well, what happens when I go back to work and people see that my body's different? Are they going to comment about it? What are they going to think about me? And so this conversation about, you know, a disordered eating uh, relation or disordered relationship with food really ends up expanding beyond that. It starts expanding into, you know, our need for control. It starts expanding into what people think about us and how we want to control that and how we want to be valued by people and, and how people see us. And so that's kind of the, the chaos, I think, in, in my world that has come out of the pandemic is just this need for control and also the shame and fear that, well, what if our bodies change when really our bodies are supposed to change over time, right? That's not a, a bad thing, but that need for control really blinds us and makes us seek that, that stagnancy in our body. Tell us just a little bit, Isabel, about your story. How did you develop such a passion for this? Yeah. Um, like you, Jenny, I have my own history with disordered eating. Mine started in college. Uh, it was junior year, uh, summer of junior year. And out of nowhere, I gained a significant amount of weight. And at that time, I wasn't hyper-focused about my food and my body. And so I wasn't even aware that that weight had come on. And unfortunately, a friend, uh, when they came back for the fall semester, made a comment about how I looked and I still just hear what they said in such a clear way. And you know, what's so interesting is that I wasn't malicious. It's just, unfortunately, what people like to talk about in conversation. It's like a conversation starter when, when people want to uh, talk about something with and, and food and body always comes into that. So anyways, they, they said something and that just kind of led me into a tailspin of micromanaging my food. Um, I would exercise multiple times a day and it was all consuming. And, and obviously that hurt my physical health. Um, I was under eating and my hair was falling out. My skin was peeling and yet I ignored all that, right? Because I was just so addicted to making sure that my body would be in a smaller size, but really what suffered was my mental health. And I'm not sure if you can relate to this, Jenny, but that's such a big part of disordered eating that I think people don't look at, you know, you think, Oh, your body changes, whether you lose or gain weight, but the anxiety, the the loneliness, the isolation that comes with it is really debilitating. 
And uh, I suffered through that for, for many years until I think there was just a series of events that really brought me out of that. And I think is that looking back, it was just by God's grace that he was calling me and, and really drawing me out of that dark place I was in. So I think one thing was uh, I got a diagnosis of PCOS. And so for our listeners who don't know what that is, it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a metabolic and endocrine disorder. And women who have this disorder very often experience uh, fluctuations in their weight due to their hormones and due to underlying uh, hormone imbalances. And so that offered me some answers, but that didn't heal my disordered eating. I still had just this brain pathway in, in my head that just was so stuck on that. And then another event I think was just meeting my husband. I think when I met my husband, uh, it brought to light just the ugliness of a lot of those behaviors. And when you're in an intimate relationship with someone, those things really come to the surface. And so I think he played a big part in me just realizing, man, this is not the life that I want to live. I have no space in my head to think about him, my family, his family. And so it was really getting rid of all that, like a real cleansing process in order to fill my life with the, the greater things, uh, and to also just fulfill my greater purpose, right. And not to just be obsessing about calories or exercise every single day. Mm. Yeah. I relate to that. I specifically was so bothered by how much brain space it took up. And again, that was something at the time that I didn't realize I could change. And I remember I was reading in scripture where it says, take every thought captive in my big fat life application study Bible. And I will never forget it. And I, it was as if I'd never seen that verse before. And I thought, okay, maybe there's a way out of, of thinking about food all the time. And for those of you that, that don't struggle with this, I just want to say that a lot of women around you do. <laughs> I want to say that it's important that you keep listening because if you don't struggle with this, you need to understand it because your daughter's will at some point. I would say both of mine have walked through seasons where we've had to fight this together. We talk about everything. So thank goodness, you know, I get let in about that. And again, it was it was passing seasons for them because we fought it head on, right? It didn't take a hold and it didn't grow into strongholds so far. And so I just think what every woman at some point is faced with that choice. And I think one of the big reasons is social media. I think that has made it so much worse. I cannot imagine being in high school and college with, because college was when mine started too. I was a Razorback cheerleader at the University of Arkansas. We had to weigh, I think it was every other week. And if we gained more than three pounds, we would be benched. And so that kind of, and you know, your freshman year, same thing. Like there's just, your body's changing, your hormones are changing, you're eating, you know, you're on your own to eat whenever, you know, you're studying late. So of course I, I did gain some weight that year. And so it, it just turned into a control issue for sure. And it was something that I realized, oh, wow, you can control this. I'm going to full on do that. And then I would say over the course of that year and the years following, it became a stronghold that was not easy to break even after, you know, cheerleading was over and I, and I stopped weighing. And I would say it for me, it lasted into baby bearing years. And, and that was when I really, I mean, I, I had to get a hold of it, right? It had to something had to change. But today, looking around, I'm thinking, gosh, it could ease I could easily fall back into it if I just looked at YouTube and Instagram the wrong people long enough, right? Like if I just kind of 
studied people's body, you know, all of the people that are taking pictures in cute clothes that that I buy and it doesn't look quite the same on me, you know? And I think that's what I want to talk about next is just how is that affecting us and what should our protective measures be with social media that that are realistic, right? Besides just get off Instagram for the rest of your life. Yeah. And unfortunately now uh, things are just so normalized, right? Those disordered eating behaviors have become so ingrained in our culture that we glamorize it, we glorify it. And so I think, you know, what you said, Jenny, is such a good point that you may have a friend that you feel like, oh my gosh, she is so healthy. She always works out in the morning. She's so disciplined. She meal preps, right? And you admire her for those behaviors. And yeah, maybe underneath there is such a disordered relationship with her body and her motivations to do those things are so tough, right? That, that they're, they're really wearing on her. They're not helpful for her. And so I think, you know, and unfortunately with social media, right, with all these bodies on that you can have access to with a click of a button, there's so much comparison going on. And so the biggest thing that I preach when it comes to disordered eating is is really knowing where your value lies, because this world will tell you that your value is in your body, your value is on your followers on social media. I mean, how you look, how your clothes look, all of that, they're going to say that is where your value is. And we as Christians need to know that, man, our value is way beyond that. Like our value is said and done and set in stone. And it's not going to change based on the climate of our culture or based on what is trendy um, because those things will always change. And if our value is, is based on that, man, we are going to be thrown in a whirlwind every new day. And so where do we find our foundation when it comes to our value? Mm. I love what you're saying because there is something I've, I've seen this in all of my kids, but I'm sure it's true of myself too. It's just easier to see in other people that you walk closely with. I've seen in my kids that something about identity will snap into place. It will also dislodge, right? It will do both. It will snap into place and it will dislodge. And it will do that, you know, depending on their circumstances, depending on, you know, eighth grade, one of my kids has a bully and you would think, I mean, she just lost all her self-confidence. It just shriveled up. So so it can change for, based on circumstances. But I would say that that fact of our identity being placed in our worthiness as children of God is something that is so difficult to unpack and to truly put on and to believe and to understand. But when it's there, it really does change everything. It It's almost like you can walk through all of the chaos of this world and everything everybody's telling you you need to be and and laugh at it. That's what I watched when my kids would have that security because their circumstances wouldn't completely change, right? But they would have a different, it would be like, oh, okay, you're going to pull that? All right. I mean, there's just not, it's not as easily dislodged, right? And so I think that's the goal that we're talking about here is just working through that. Now, I will say a lot of identity for myself and for the people I love has come from struggle. It hasn't come from memorizing verses and deciding like, I'm going to believe this. It's usually when you've lost everything and when you feel like I have no worth that you go to God and he gives you that and you feel it. And it's not just something you mentally assent to, but it's something that actually takes over and you're like, oh my gosh, this is true. What has that looked like for you in your life as 
you walked out of that season, Isabel, where, you know, I know you have a strong relationship with God. What does that look like to depend on that specifically with this issue? Yeah, so necessary because especially, you know, I'm not immune to it, right? Even if this is what I do, this is what I preach, this is what I help clients work through. I mean, the noise and the lies are just everywhere. And so I can find myself so easily get caught up in that. And it's a slippery slope, right? Like you can have good intentions and say, I want to be healthy. I want to take good care of my body. And then that, you know, belief of just wanting to be a good steward of your body ends up becoming an idol, right? Now you're, you're pursuing health and pursuing status, I guess, of your health as an idol. And so I think for me, it's really clinging on to, again, like, where my value lies when I'm feeling that anxiety, right? And feeling that overwhelm and feeling distracted. I I can feel it in me. I can feel that, that lack of security. I can feel my mind just spiraling, right? Trying to prove myself. Um, When I get on sessions with clients, I can find myself really getting amped up uh, and and not in a, a good way. And that is because I'm relying on myself and my value and what I have to offer to, to prove myself, to, to create some type of worth from that. And that is always going to fall short. And so I yeah. think it's a ongoing learning experience. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll realize just how much satisfaction Jesus gives me. I'm like, mm. Oh, like, this is what, this is what is about. This is where I find security. This is where I find peace. Then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, shiny objects. And then we'll go and we'll try, <laughs> we'll try to, to, to make things, yep. uh, you know, our way. And then yep. we'll feel lost. And then again, he calls us and he draws us back to him. It's an ongoing journey. <laughs> hey guys, this is Chloe. And I just want to make sure you know about the free life inventory PDF on Jenny's website that we made for you. One of the things we love to do at the Made For This podcast is create free, helpful resources for you to print out and use alongside each season of the podcast. So this season, we have made a free PDF for you called the Life Inventory. It is a series of worksheets. It has conversation cards and all kinds of things we know you'll love. And it's just gonna help you look back on the last couple months and grieve what was celebrate what is, what's right in front of you, and then also look ahead and dream into the future. My husband and I do it every single year, and it's just a great way to kind of pause, take inventory of every area of our life, from finances to our bodies and our families and everything in between, and we know that you will love it too. So you can go to JennyAllen.com and download that free life inventory PDF today. want to point out is to be careful not to look side to side and like judge if people are disordered eating or not. So let's let's talk about a little bit of a grid of even just for ourselves because this is something very personal that you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, "Oh, my friend, I think she struggles." And you know, you know what? My little girl, one of my little girls eats like crazy and she is just so little that that people might think she struggles. I watch her eat and I'm like, Oh no, the girl, the girl's just growing, you know? So it's, it, you gotta be careful not to like look at someone's body and assume things, right? So, you know, what I, I guess there's two concerns here is one that people walk out with a grid that they're using for other people. And then two, that people don't walk out with a grid that they can use for themselves. So let's talk about how do we know if we've got 
this struggle? Because maybe we've never even thought about it till this day. Yeah. So I guess starting off from if you have concerns about other people having a disordered eating uh, or disordered eating or disordered relationship with food. And the truth is you can't tell. You can't tell from the outside through behaviors. Maybe you can hear it in the way they talk about it. Um, if they're saying like, oh my gosh, I was so bad this weekend. I need to uh, eat clean this, this week again. And you kind of hear them oscillating between this good and bad food and really kind of piling on that shame and guilt around food, then maybe that's a, a clue. But just through behaviors, like you said, Jenny, you, we can't tell. Through body size, you can't tell. That's how insidious disordered eating is. It's, it's all in the mind and in the heart. So if you are concerned about someone having a disordered relationship with food, you can open a conversation and just ask how they are. Like, hey, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? You know, just being open about it, not directly talking about, you know, hey, I think your, your behaviors are, are disordered. I think man, I wish someone had asked me that when I was uh, going through my own struggle. So I think that's from an outside perspective. Um, from an internal perspective, I think disordered eating, there's a spectrum and I can kind of talk about the extremes. There's, there's one side where there is maybe what you think is disordered eating, the obsession about food, right? Wanting to, to count calories, feeling guilt and shame around food, um, having a lot of food rules, right? Saying, I can't have this, I can't have that. And if I break that rule, I've done something wrong. There's that side. And so I think if you're noticing that type of narrative um, to, to check, hey, am, am I having a healthy relationship with food? Is, is food bringing me joy? Does it make me feel mentally, emotionally, physically healthy, or is it taking up a ton of space in my head? Um, in fact, that's a question that I very often ask on one of the first conversations I have with clients is what percentage of your thoughts are of food in your body? And you're thinking, man, like 70, 80, 90, mm -hmm. then that can be a, a good indicator that there is um, something to look at, something to talk about, and maybe to, to seek help with that. And then there's the other side, which I think people don't talk about as much, which is using food as your I guess, crutch for everything. Mm -hmm. You seek food for comfort, for joy, for, for peace, for escape, for everything. And that is also not what God intended for us, right? Mm -hmm. Food is, you know, lawful, but not all of it is um, going to serve us right in, in the long run. And so if we're using food to fill all our needs, then we need to take a step back and see, well, who is the one who can ultimately fill all my needs, right? It's not going to be food. And so I think those are kind of the two sides that if you're seeking food for everything, for your comfort, for your escape, for you to feel in control, right? Mm -hmm. That is something to look at. And then on the other side, if you feel obsessive about food and it's taking up all your time and your energy, then that is another sign that maybe there's something deeper to look at as well. I wonder, you know, as people are listening, it feels like when you say that, that the middle would be this tightrope that would be very difficult <laughs> to walk, right? Because it's like, okay, given the week, I might fall onto one side of that or the other, right? Give us a vision of what a healthy relationship with food looks like. Yeah, I would say first thing is that food is neutral, right? Food is neutral. There's no good. There's no bad food. And what comes with that is 
you are not a good or a bad person depending on your food choices. You are totally free from that, right? Reconnecting to what we talked about earlier. You know where your value lies and your food choices are your food choices. Now, the, the follow-up to that is that you are also well-connected with your body. That what happens with disordered eating is very often there's a disassociation with your body because those rules take up so much time in your head or the body obsession takes up so much space in your head. And so when it comes to reconnecting with your body, you know what food makes you feel good. You know what food energizes you. You know what foods enable you to do other things, right? Because food and, and health is not the goal. The, this is a vessel, right? Our body is a vessel. Health is a vessel so that we can use that to do greater things and to serve a greater purpose. And so if you are well-connected with your body and you feel well-energized and well-fed, then you can do those greater things. And so I think that's really where that middle ground is when food doesn't define you. And yet you can also stay connected with your body and feed your body in a way that is honoring to God and also allows you to, you know, take care of the ones you love and uh, have a clear mind in order right. for you to build a, a deeper relationship with people and, and, and with your father. So it's not necessarily wrong to think, ah, like I need to lose a little bit of weight or, you know what, I really don't feel good if I eat these different foods. Like I do think, you know, I, I have those thoughts of, you know, gluten makes me feel bad. I just feel foggy. And, and so it is to me a bad food, but I, and I do kind of feel regret eating it when I eat it, but it doesn't necessarily move into my identity. It just, it's like a note to myself of like, you know what, I don't feel good today because I didn't eat well yesterday. It's more of what you're saying, paying attention to my body than it is guilt and shame. Yeah, exactly. It's just checking in, right. Being able to check in and say like, Hey, like, how are you feeling? What's going on? What can I do for you body in order for you to feel your best and do the things that you need to do versus it just being about the food, just about your body size. So mm. yeah, I think there, there's such a balance, right? God does call us to be a good steward of our bodies and that's important. But when we forget why we need to be a good steward of our bodies and we just right. think about our bodies, then that's where the message can be diluted and, and confusing. Mm. I want you just as we close to to speak to really both sides of the spectrum. So the person that that is feeling like they're obsessed and controlling everything and then the person that maybe is coming out of quarantine and has been comfort eating for a while and and wants to see a healthier relationship with food return. So just speak directly to both of them. Yeah, you know, I think it was something that you actually said earlier, Jenny, way in the beginning of our podcast was just that you are capable of change. I think when we get caught up in these beliefs and patterns and habits, you can feel so stuck and that becomes your identity, right? Well, I just, I'm just an emotional eater, right? Or I'm just uh, obsessed about my health. I can't change. And the fact is we can, because we've been renewed, right? As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit to, to guide us. Um, and that is so freeing, right? That we don't have to be stuck in our thoughts or our beliefs that those things can be changed as well. So regardless of whether you are on one side or another with disordered eating, that you are capable of change and, and you can find healing in that. What would somebody do if they're listening to this and they want to take a next step? They're realizing, you know what, this has been a bigger stronghold in my life than I've realized. 
what would you tell them is a great next step? Yeah, definitely. So two things, right? Start really neutralizing food. If you find that you have that belief about food and that's causing you a lot of, I like to call it like drama in your life, then let's look at that, right? How can we start neutralizing these foods? What happens is when we have these polar opposite foods is that we end up being attracted to the foods that we retract from ourselves, right? So we say, you are not allowed to have donuts. Then all we can think about is donuts. (laughs) Yes, this is my brain. So I hate dieting. I'm like, I just can't do it. I'm like, I'm a, I never think about food till I diet. Then I'm like, cheeseburgers. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that so yeah. true? And so that's why neutralizing food is so important, right? You may think, well, then I'm just going to eat donuts all day. I'm just going to eat cheeseburgers all day. But really what happens when we remove that forbidden fruit mentality, that a novelty food, that things just become no big deal. Like food just becomes yeah. food and you can start kind of reconnecting with your body again and trusting that you have the cues, that you have hunger and fullness and these beautiful biological cues to teach you and to guide you on how and, and what to eat. Mm. Hey, thanks so much, Isabel, for being here. I know everybody's going to want to find you. Is there a way they can? Do you have a website? Yeah, I do. So uh, my website is uh, www.womanwisenutrition.com. I'm also on social media, on Instagram. I I share some encouragements and uh, education on there. And that is at womanwisenutrition. So those are ways that you can reach out to me. Uh, You can send me an email as well if you have questions regarding this conversation. And that's going to be at info at womanwisenutrition.com watch out. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna come in. Hey, if somebody wants to find a counselor in your field, do you have a title that they should look for in their cities? Do you do Zoom? What would, what would that look like? Yeah. So, uh, you know, dietitians run all uh, a spectrum, right? A, a wide gamut. So you want to look for a dietitian who specifically uh, is trained in either eating disorders or um, kind of the, the vocabulary that people are using now is intuitive eating. So intuitive eating is kind of what the conversation we're, we're talking about, uh, reconnecting with your bodies, building trust with your bodies, getting rid of those food rules. Those are kind of big buzzwords that you can type in uh, in your Google search if you're looking for a dietitian. A small thing I think also to note, just based on my experience with working with clients, is very often disordered eating comes with trauma as well. So if you noticed that um, when your disordered relationship with food came because of some traumatic event where you felt that you needed to disconnect your body in order to to be safe, then making sure that you find a dietitian that is trauma-informed so that they can work with your whole story and your whole experience when it comes to healing your relationship with food as well. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. guys wasn't that an incredible conversation thank you so much for listening every week we love that we get to be in your earbuds as you go about life maybe driving or doing laundry if you want to connect with isabel and maybe learn more about her work we'll put all of her info in the show notes thank you again for listening we'll see you next time for another episode of the made for this podcast